Good morning, saints of the Lord. Thank you so much for allowing me to share with you this morning. It's good to be here. Some of you know that I'm no longer officially a pastor of FBC. Some of you may not have known that. Did you all know that? My title was changed recently to pre-field missionary. So I come to you as speaking as a pre-field missionary. Where are the Hubiars? My brothers and sister Hubiars. Wow. You know what? We have a big problem in this world. That problem is this world is insane. That's the problem. Now, they think we're insane. But we know different. They are insane. Now, I don't mean in a physical sense. When I was driving to church this morning down Mountain Avenue, the, all the cars in front of me were stopping at the red lights. It was raining, so they were actually driving slower than usual. That's a good thing. I hope you did that. When they turned, I noticed there was also a road there when they turned. That's a sign of rationality. When actions match up with reality, that is sanity. So, on a physical sense, uh, the world is sane. Now, you might argue with that, okay? But I'm not going there this morning. I am not talking about the physical realm. I'm talking about spiritually. In my opinion, if the world was spiritually sane, okay, if they woke up tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and they were sane, if everybody in the world was spiritually sane tomorrow morning, they would immediately fall on their knees. They would cry out to God, God, I realize you created me. I realize I have been a rebel, that I have insulted your grace, that I'm a wicked sinner. And they would all seven billion people on the planet would get on their knees, cry out to God for his mercy and grace. That's what would happen if this world was sane. But you know what? This world is insane. This world is driving down Mountain Avenue, as it were, running all the red lights, completely ignoring God, exceeding the speed limit, spinning out on the wet road completely unhinged from spiritual reality. This world desperately needs a spiritual solution. And praise the Lord. In His Word, out of the mouth of Jesus Himself, comes the spiritual solution. Now, for you all, this is not a surprising solution. But I want you to know it is the solution. The solution we have in God's Word that you possess right here this morning, is exactly what the world needs to regain its spiritual sanity. In fact, I've jotted them down for you. If you have your notes, you're going to see there's four things there, at least four. And these are requirements to restore spiritual sanity to this insane world. I'm just going to review all four of them. They're pretty simple. The first two regard the Apostle Paul. What we must recognize about him and the last two or what we must recognize about ourselves. The first is we must recognize that Paul had a commission from Jesus Christ that was absolutely clear. We'll cover that from the book of Acts. Second, we must realize that Paul's obedience was comprehensive. He actually did what Jesus said and his world was turned upside down. Third, we can re we're going to recognize that our commission, yes, we have one too, from Jesus, is equally clear. And then fourth, we must recognize that our obedience, yes, our obedience is critical to restore sanity to this insane world. All right. Are you ready? Now, a little more background. The Apostle Paul preached this sermon in Acts chapter 26. And, and his sermon contains his commission from Christ. Now, some of you already know the history of Acts. Paul didn't get his commission in Acts 26. 
He got it in Acts chapter 9. Now, the difference in time between Acts chapter 9 and Acts 26 is about 25 years. The Apostle Paul had so grasped his commission from Christ that for 25 years he faithfully executed it everywhere he went. He went on three missionary journeys. He planted churches all over Galatia and Asia and the and uh, the area, what we would call Greece. He preached the gospel everywhere. He trained young men to be leaders like Timothy, Zach read about. So by the time Paul reveals his commission that he was given from Christ in Acts 26, this was a knowledgeable and experienced apostle. He implemented exactly what Christ said. Okay, now if you're going to use a pew Bible, you can go ahead and turn to page 1120. We want to actually pick up the action in the end of chapter 24 of Acts. It's 1120 in your pew Bible. And then the rest of the day we'll spend on page 1121 in Acts 26. I want you to notice with me that Paul had been in jail for two years prior to this sermon being preached. In fact, you know the story. After, after his third missionary journey, he went to Jerusalem. All his friends said, don't go there, Paul. There's big trouble. He said, I know, but I'm going anyway. Oh, you got to love that guy. And sure enough, he went there. He got in trouble. He was thrown in jail for how long? Look at verse 27 of Acts 24. It says, after two years had passed... Felix was succeeded by Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul imprisoned. Okay, here's the deal. The Roman governor, Felix, finally ran out of time. His term was over. It's time for him to move on. The new guy, Festus, comes in. Festus finds Paul still there in jail after two years. Now, Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, wanted to find a way to punish Paul. So he talks to Paul, and Paul says, or he asks Paul, Hey, Paul, why don't you come on down to Jerusalem? We'll give you a trial in front of the Jews. Paul says, No way to that. He appeals to Caesar, rightfully so, because this guy Festus was a consummate politician, cared nothing about Paul. Paul appealed to Caesar, says, Hey, I have a right as a Roman citizen to a fair trial before Caesar. So Festus now is in a bind. The new Roman governor is like, what do I do with this guy? The Jews want me to punish him. He is a Roman citizen, so he has a right to go to Caesar. I tell you what I'll do. I'm going to bring in my political expert here, Agrippa. Agrippa. Herod Agrippa also, he was a great, uh, a great grandson of, of Herod the Great, who was alive when Jesus was born. This guy, Agrippa, had the background of Judea. He'd also grown up in Rome. So smart move, Festus. Bring in this guy, Agrippa, and and let him be part of the decision-making process. So that's that's the setting. One more uh, piece I want to show you. Look at Acts 25, verse 23. The day comes for Paul's trial here. It says, on the next day, when Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp. Wow. So Festus's plan is going pretty good. Agrippa comes down with Bernice. Who's Bernice? That's his sister. So Agrippa is in this incestuous relationship with his sister Bernice. They are high-level officials in the Roman political system. And they come with great pomp. Wow, this is an amazing thing. And not, not only do they come with Festus, but look what, also, uh, look what also comes in with them. It says they entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city at the command of Festus. Paul was brought in. 
Now, if you were the Apostle Paul, having been in jail for two years, and now you face all these high-level officials, what are you going to talk about? There's a lot you could talk about. How about the illegality of my jail term? How about the fact that I was wrongly accused? How about the fact of this immoral relationship between this guy Agrippa and his sister? Guess what Paul did? He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he did. That's what he did. That's exactly what he did. And we're going to find out why right now. The reason he preached the gospel is because he believed what Jesus said. We're going to pick up the action in verse uh, 15. Paul is recounting now his conversion to Christ. And he's going to quote the words of Jesus to him, his commission. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Now, I want you to notice this verse. This is a power-packed verse. I want you to go home and meditate on this verse. Acts 26, 18. Jesus appoints Paul a minister to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Wow. This is our first point. We, if we want to affect this spiritual insanity that is afflicting our world, we need to understand this commission from Jesus to Paul was absolutely clear. And those four points, there's at least four critical points here that are absolutely clear. Number one, Jesus appointed Paul to declare revealed truth, not Paul's own opinion. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, Hey, Paul, get up, stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness to things which you're going to see, you're going to see and also the things you have seen. The things I'm going to give you, Paul, that's what you're to talk about. We're going to find out later that Paul did exactly that. You know what? We need to know that. Why? If we want to have any hope of restoring spiritual sanity to this world, it's the Word of God. It is the Word of God. That is crystal clear, is it not? Okay, number two. The second point here is that the Great Commission to Paul revealed, uh, is that revealed truth results in understanding. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, Paul, when you preach, it's in order to, it's to open their eyes. Now, what's Jesus saying? Simple, huh? Their eyes are closed. Is that, is that fair to say they didn't perceive? Is it fair to say Jesus believes that people are moving through life blinded? To spiritual reality? Is that not tantamount to saying this world is lost in spiritual insanity? Is that too harsh? Do you think I'm being too hard on the world? I believe that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the natural state of the world spiritually is their eyes are closed. They don't understand. Their minds are darkened. By the way, What, according to this verse, are they going to understand? At first, it doesn't seem like he's telling us. He says, Paul, I'm going to send you. You're going to say say what I'm saying to you in order to open their eyes. Open it to what? Well, actually, it is there. Go on. Look, it says, so that they may turn from darkness 
to light from the dominion of Satan to God. If you understand something, what follows reveals what you understand. So simply here, there's two things that you understand. Number one, after the preaching of God's word goes out, Jesus says, Paul, their eyes are going to be open. They're going to understand that they are in darkness. And they're going to start getting interested in that idea of, of leaving Satan's domain and turning to God. That's exactly what Christ says in John 3.19. I'll read it for you. Jesus says, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. This world loves darkness. They love their wicked deeds. Is that a surprise to you? Interesting, huh? It was true 2,000 years ago. Is that true today? It is true today. One of the reasons our world is spiritually insane is because people love their evil deeds. They have an affection for their evil deeds. In their heart, there's that emotional tie to wickedness. But that's not all. What else are they going to understand? Well, there's this idea of that we're in darkness, but also this idea that we've been captivated by Satan. Whoa, what's that about? Satan is the deceiver. Satan is the one who is the father of lies. So if you have been captivated by Satan, you have been deceived, been deceived to believe a lie. And there are many, many lies. What Jesus is talking about here is absolutely a worldwide phenomenon wherein the heart of man with his love for evil is allied with the power of Satan to deceive people. That's why this is such a deadly, deadly universal darkness. The love of every individual for their sin and the power of Satan to keep them there through deception, joined together in a bondage that is incredible indeed. Restoring spiritual sanity is not easy. The enemy is fierce, for we're fighting the love of men for evil and the power of Satan to deceive. Okay, third, uh, let's review real quick. Paul's commission from Christ was clear, okay? Jesus tells Paul, Paul, you have to tell people what I tell you. Second, Paul, when you tell them the truth that I'm giving you, they're going to understand, and they're going to understand something. And that something is they're in darkness, and they have been deceived by Satan. Third, hey, Paul, the people are going to want to turn, and that turning is going to result... Uh, I'm sorry, the understanding is going to result in a turning. Look at verse 18 again. They're going to turn from darkness to light and from the power, I'm sorry, from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness. Now that turning, is it fair to say that is repentance? That's an easy one to answer because if you look down a couple verses, look at verse uh, 19, in fact. Paul says, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. He's talking to King Agrippa. Well, he proved obedient. How was he obedient? Look at verse 20. He kept declaring both to those at Damascus first and at Jerusalem and Judea, even to the Gentiles. What did he declare? That they should repent and turn. Okay. I need to camp out on this just for a few minutes. This is a big one. Jesus says, Paul, when people understand, when they understand this truth, they're going to want to turn. They're going to want to repent. 
Now, if this is such an important part of the dynamic of turning our world from spiritual insanity to spiritual truth, do you think Satan would want to try to countermand God's plan? Hear what I'm saying. This Bible has been around. You think Satan has read this thing? I think he studied it in detail. You think Satan's aware of our strategy for attacking his kingdom? He's absolutely aware of it. Do you think Satan knows that Jesus is looking for a turning, for a repentance? He is aware of it. Do you think that Satan is attacking this idea of repentance? Whoa, he absolutely is. I want to illustrate it two ways, two extremes of attacking this idea. This idea of repentance is wrongly taught and wrongly understood. So I'm just going to whet your appetite for it by giving you two illustrations. The first is a guy named Ted. These, neither one of these names are the true name. I met this guy named Ted, and I met another lady I'll call Charlotte. First, Ted. Ted, I met him after a little Bible study, and I got to share the gospel with this little group in a Bible study. Afterwards, Ted called me outside. And he was very honest with me. He said, Jim, I cannot receive Christ. I said, why not? He opened up his shirt and he said, this is why. And on his chest, tattooed, was a giant demonic figure. He said, this is why. I have a demon tattooed on my chest. And of course, that was shocking. I'd never seen a demon on a chest like that before. So I exhorted him, though, that he had a stain much worse than that on the inside. Amen? And it's not the pigment on the skin that's the problem. It's the stain on the inside. That's the real problem. But Ted would not be dissuaded. No matter what scripture I shared, he believed that he had to somehow do something, get that tattoo off or do something before Christ could forgive him. That is insanity. Let me illustrate it this way. Pretend like Ted was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, a thousand miles from shore. He needs rescuing. Somehow he's able to get, get on the radio and cry out, please come and rescue me. The rescuers come out, fly out all the way, a thousand miles, middle of the Atlantic. Here's Ted. Now sinking under the waves. The rescuers are there. They're like, Ted, we're here. You know, grab onto our hand. And Ted says, thank you for coming. But you know what? Let me first swim to the surface. Let me reach up to you. I've got to go the final two feet. Just hang on. It's insane, isn't it? Repentance is not doing something to earn God's favor. You can't add anything. You can't somehow screw up the energy or the, the intelligence or the effort to do anything to please God. All you can do is to cry out to him for help. You can't add anything to the work of Christ. Repentance is not doing something on your own. It's not adding anything to God's work. Okay, now for the other extreme. Charlotte. Shared the gospel with Charlotte at her house in her front lawn. Got to share my testimony. Got to share the whole gospel. Got to open the word with her for 40 minutes. I said, Charlotte. And she was nodding her head. Yeah, that's great. Charlotte, is there anything preventing you from receiving this wonderful gift God has for you? And she said, absolutely not. She said, I deserve it. So I was like, wow. <laughs> Something went wrong there somewhere. <laughs> okay, this is, this is Charlotte. I've thought about Charlotte a lot over the years. Here's a picture of Charlotte. She's in the Atlantic Ocean. She's a thousand miles from shore. But she's got her little boat, her little rowboat. Maybe it has a little engine, a little trolling engine on it. 
And I'm like, Charlotte, you need to be rescued. She's like, you know what? That would be great. Maybe they could give me a little extra gas for my tank on my way to Europe. That, that would be just fine. Maybe they could bring my television set along too, make the trip more enjoyable. You know what? That's insane, isn't it? To be on a little rowboat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and think you're doing just fine, that you deserve anything. You know what? If you think Christianity is somehow something that to enhance your recreational experience, you are insane. The gospel is not something to help you feel better on your journey, to give you an emotional high. If you want to feel better, I recommend renting a good movie and maybe getting some ice cream. <laughs> or maybe, here's a good one, if you have the resources, take a cruise to the Caribbean. I hear that's a pretty fun thing to do. But, if you're miserable because of your sin and you need salvation and you want refreshment in your soul and you're tired of the sin that's killing you and you're ready to cry out to God for his grace and mercy, I recommend to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate true repentance this way. You're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, a thousand miles from shore. You have now sunk below the waves. The light is dimming as you sink. As the weight presses on your lungs and your last vestiges of oxygen are being diminished and you feel conscious, consciousness leaving you, you suddenly grow a hatred for this water that's killing you. You want nothing more than to get out of this ocean. You cry out to God with all your heart, God, get me out of here. I hate this water. I want to be rescued. I can't do anything on my own. In Jesus' name, will you please rescue me, remove me from this thing. I never want to go back to this pit again. And God, in his mercy, at the speed of light, sends whatever kind of fast-moving aircraft <laughs> he's got with this amazing grappling hook, plunges down into the water and puts its hooks, its arms around you and rips you out of that water. Once and for all, you're rescued from that dark pit. That is repentance. That's what we're talking about here. Do you get that? Okay, hey, these are the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord, to Paul. Paul, look, preach the word. Hey, Paul, look, when you preach the word, their eyes of understanding, their heart, they're going to realize they're in darkness, that, wow, they're captivated by Satan, and they're going to want to have a desire to get out of there, to turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And there's one more thing he tells Paul. Paul, this repentance results in forgiveness and eternal blessing. Look at it right there. Jesus says that they may receive. By the way, who receives? The ones who just repented, right? The ones who just turned. They receive forgiveness and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. What is that? What is forgiveness? The Bible says it many different ways. It's a wonderful thing. It's the, it's, forgiveness is, is the means by which God takes all of the filth and takes it completely away. Ezekiel says God removes your heart of stone. Jeremiah says that God will remember your sins no more. Isaiah says, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Psalm 103 says your sins will be removed as far as the east is from the west. The Apostle John says the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And the book of Hebrews says, 
for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Whoa! Hey, we're talking about forever here. I've noticed another trick of Satan is that he likes to tempt believers toward spiritual insanity. And this insanity works this way. I repented, I got saved. I sinned, I lost my salvation. I repent, I get saved again. I've sinned, I lose my salvation. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about turning to Christ, being rescued once and for all. That's what we're talking about. This is an inheritance that is eternal. Jesus would say it this way in John 5, 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. If you're not in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, you will not drown in the Atlantic Ocean. You have been rescued. You are free. Okay, now what I want you to recognize here is that Paul got a commission and that is what he did. He did it. Exactly what Jesus said. He did it for 25 years, at least at this point. Look at verse uh, 20, back to Acts 26. He says, I kept declaring. Hey, by the way, what was he sent to do by Jesus? To be a witness, right? What did he do? He declared. He kept declaring. Paul, who did you declare to? Jesus told you to go to the Jews and the Gentiles. Who did you go to? He says, I went to those in Damascus. I went to those at Jerusalem. Then throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles. He went everywhere. He talked to everybody. That was what he did. What an amazing thing. Jesus told him to do it, and he did it. Hey, Paul, go preach. And he preached. What did he preach? Did he preach the revealed truth, the word of God, or his own opinion? Look at verse 22. He says, so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Amazing, isn't it? Paul preached nothing but the word of God. Wow, how refreshing. How refreshing. By the way, what was the result? Remember Festus? That Festus guy. Look at verse 24. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice. Please pardon me if I use a loud voice right now. Ready? Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, Paul, you are out of your mind. Interesting, huh? <laughs> Festus was out of his mind. Isn't that wild? Could it be that we Christians, when we represent truth the way God wants us to do it, that people will think we're out of, that we are out of our minds? Is that possible? I guarantee it. I guarantee it. But you know what? They are out of their mind. They certainly are. Okay. So what do we have here? We have a situation where Jesus Christ gave a great commission, a wonderful commission to Paul. Gave him exactly what to do and exactly what to say, and Paul did it. The world was turned upside down. Paul planted churches everywhere. There were disciples everywhere. Hundreds, thousands of people coming to Christ, being saved, not being entertained, being saved, being rescued. How about us? Do we have a commission? Now, this section of Acts doesn't give a commission to us. We know we have a commission, though. 
We certainly do have a commission. Just to review it very quickly. This commission was designed to be handed off. Even Jesus received the commission. I'm going to read to you. You can make a note of it. Read it for yourself here. But Jesus received a commission from the Father. Isaiah 49, 6. God the Father is talking to Messiah and says, Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant? Speaking to Messiah. To raise up the tribes of Jacob. To restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Wow. Messiah received this commission. What was his commission? That salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. What commission did Jesus give to Paul? Paul, I want you to go to, you, to, go to Jews and Gentiles. Who's that? That's the whole world. That's everybody. Jews are Jews and Gentiles are non-Jews. Logic says that's everybody. To what? To give them the light of the gospel. Okay. Jesus gives us this, our commission in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. It's the last book in Matthew. By the way, our pastor is going to begin preaching through Matthew. I believe next week. You will not want to miss that. The very end of the book. Jesus speaking to the eleven says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. Teaching them to observe all all I have commanded you. Yes, all. All that Jesus commanded, we now are supposed to do, including this great commission. You believe that? You go along with that? Okay, that brings us to our fourth, our fourth point. We must recognize that our obedience is critical. This one gets hard because we think, you know what? We're not like the Apostle Paul. But wait a second. Is that is that right? Wasn't he like a murderer? Wasn't the Apostle Paul like a blasphemer? Didn't he just go take Christians and put them in jail? Who was that? Well, he was the Apostle Paul. Wait a second. Whose power does this enterprise depend on? Does it depend on us at all? Or do we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and thereby are his witnesses? Yes, we are to be witnesses. We are to be. So in order to do this, I've jotted down these three things in your notes as well. What I'd like you to do first is embrace. Now, if you can embrace this truth this morning, great. If you cannot, please think about it. I want you to embrace this truth. You live in an insane asylum. This whole world is an insane asylum. This is not a nice place to be. You're here for a reason. To pass on spiritual sanity. Or you will be driven mad. Let me illustrate it this way. I talked to another guy once in Glendora. I asked him what he believed about where he would go after he died. He said he believed in heaven and hell. I said, well, where will you go? He said, I'm going to hell. It was astonishing. Now, he wasn't joking. He appeared uh, sincere. I said, well, sir, may I show you from God's word how you can Change that path. You don't have to go there. And no kidding, this is what he said to me. Uh, no, no, thanks. I'm I'm uh, too busy right now. Is that insane? It is. That's insane. Okay. 
Let me illustrate this way. The Grand Can- Anybody been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, let that represent eternal judgment and death, okay? The Grand Canyon is, is there. Now, there's not just a two-lane road heading there, but it's a freeway, a four-lane freeway heading straight to the Grand Canyon, terminating at the cliff. This guy is on it. He is driving towards the Grand Canyon at 100 miles an hour, and I'm watching. I have my cell phone, fortunately. Illustrations are so good, aren't they? You just make stuff up. (laughs) I've got my cell phone. I see him going, driving to the Grand Canyon, 100 miles an hour. I call him up. Hey, guy, did you know you're, like, driving towards the Grand Canyon at 100 miles an hour? And, And I hear back from him. Oh, yeah, dude, man, I am. I know that. I'm like, wow. Can I tell you how to stop your car, how to turn off the ignition, how to turn around? And he says, wow, man. uh, Hey, I got a really amazing song on the radio right now. I got to listen to it. Goodbye. That, That is insanity. But wait, that's what the world is. But not just one guy. How many people? If you're generous, okay, and I've studied this subject. How many Christians are there in the world? There's 7 billion people. If you're generous, maybe a billion true believers. Okay, it could be maybe 500 million less. Okay, we don't know. Let us be generous this morning. Let's say out of 7 billion, 1 billion are believers. Guess what? 6 billion people are driving on a freeway 100 miles an hour heading for the Grand Canyon, called eternity. That's our world. That's your world. This is an insane asylum, a spiritual insane asylum. Six billion people rushing to eternity without Christ. Incredible. You need to embrace that. So here's my recommendation. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, say this simple phrase. As you wake up, first thing, there's 6 billion people driving 100 miles an hour towards the Grand Canyon. Okay? Say that to yourself. It's insane. Spiritual insanity all over. Okay, here's the second thing you must embrace. Embrace the reality that if the church does not proclaim God's truth... Nobody will. Nobody will. You tell me who is, if not us. This is where this is what got me and Janet in big trouble. We have some friends in Argentina who have been laboring to plant churches, and somewhat successfully. They're getting beat up all the time, but praise God, they've endured for 30 years now. They've planted about 18 little churches. Some of them are house churches. There's a few that have buildings, if you want to call them that. They're not much of a building. They're not by code by any means. We have seen our dear friends down there suffer and endure for at least the 14 years that we've known them. We have been praying hard for them. God, give them the laborers in the harvest field. God, they're suffering. They're alone. They get beat up. When Christians fall and pastors fall, there's no one else to lean on. They're alone. Here at FBC, we praise God. We have four pastors and a wonderful staff. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. We pray for you. But our friends down there are so all alone. It breaks our heart. For at least six years, we've been praying, God, send them help. Raise up somebody. My brother Art, God bless you, brother Art. (laughs) My brother Art said to me, Jim, why don't you consider going? Ah. In my heart, I said, what? I can't do that. You guys know all I've done in my life is to be 
a father and a worker at the gas company, Southern California Gas Company. Very nice company. I recommend them if you need a job. What, it, what business do I have going to Argentina to work in church planning? You know what? We have it. We have everything we need this morning to know why me and Janet have to go. Don't we, sweetie? Because this sin-sick world is dying. It's rushing to hell at 100 miles an hour. I declare... Half of the men in this church must be more mature than 80% of their pastors down there. After a young man reads through the Bible once, he is more mature than 90% of the Christians. They have about 4% Christians down there that we can tell. So by God's grace, you, the elders... Pastors have encouraged me and Janet to step up and go. But it's the same for you as well. The people you know, the places you work. If you don't share God's truth, who is going to? Okay, so embrace this truth, these truths. You live in a spiritually insane world. And if you don't proclaim the gospel, who is? And third, embrace the reality of your own need for repentance. Just a couple quick points, okay? First, if you've repented, if you have understood, okay, you've already done this. You have understood, without Christ, I'm lost. I have no capability. You have begged God to rescue you from, your, from this disgusting sin that just pours out of your soul. You've cried out to him in faith. God, it's only by Christ do I have any hope whatsoever. If you've placed your faith in him, please do not let Satan whipsaw you back and forth. Enjoy the salvation that God has given, for it is rich and it is free and wonderful. It is meant to free you from the guilt of your sin, free you from the power of that sin, get you on the right path, give you a family of God that can hold you accountable, that can teach you, give you a place where you can serve him. Get with it, get connected. Enjoy your salvation. But here's the deal. If you have not repented, okay, if you've been like Ted or Charlotte, have gotten it wrong. Know this. Hear me. You listening? If you have not repented, you are not forgiven. It's it's right there in order. From the words of Jesus. He says, the preaching of the gospel results in understanding, open eyes, so that they will turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God so that they'll be forgiven. Eternal blessing and forgiveness come as a result of that repentance. If you haven't been broken over your sin, hey, you're like Charlotte. You just want God to give you some extra gas for your tank. God's rescue squad is not meant for that. The gospel's not meant to just help you on your way. The gospel's meant to rescue you from the depths of your own brokenness. Here's the thing. You need to repent. You need to give up anything you can possibly do. You need to understand God requires you to come as you are. Just as you are right now. Satan is not idle in this matter. If you refuse to repent, Satan will eagerly attack you with deception like that. Try to get you to do anything but repent. Because when the repentance happens, his power is broken. 
and he will fiercely fight for your death. So if you're getting it, see, if the light's coming on and you're realizing, whoa, I have to place all of my faith in Christ. Christ alone, nothing can save me but him. You're getting it and you must repent today. You must do it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are great and awesome. Thank you for the words of Jesus to Paul. Thank you that Paul did not choose you, but you chose him and appointed him to preach truth for the rescue of the lost. Father, thank you that you have given Foothill Bible Church a commission corporately and individually to represent the truth of the gospel to our insane community, to our spiritually crazy world. God, by faith in you, we accept the challenge. God, by faith in you, please do a work in our hearts so that we can proclaim and support gospel spreading all over the world. Moreover, Lord, if there's even one here that realizes perhaps for the first time, that they have never repented. Please, Lord, help them to see the danger of their situation. Help them to see that they are going down. They're already underwater. And the oxygen will soon be gone. Father, they need to cry out immediately for rescue from the only one. You, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Father, they may even cry out right now. Placing all their faith and trust in you. And Father, reach down and touch them. Touch them, Lord. Grant them regeneration and renewal according to your grace. Father, we give you ourselves. We are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jim. It was wonderful to hear God's word preached to us so clearly. It's a solemn responsibility, isn't it? We're glad that you and Janet are taking that step in faith, and we're excited to partner with you. And if you're excited about it, then I would encourage you to get involved. There's a lot of ways that, that Jim needs help in these next couple of months, and I'd be happy to share those with you if you have questions about that. Before our last song, Our Glorious Day, I just want to thank you on behalf of my team for all the encouragement you provided to us as we've seek, sought to labor for you. I had an excellent meeting yesterday with my fellow team leaders and we prayed for you. We prayed for ourselves that you would, that God would grant us the strength to worship together corporately in a way that's pleasing to him. And we just rejoice that he's continually changing us, transforming us. And we are excited about the opportunities. And we ask you to continue to entrust yourselves to him first, uh, to your leaders here at Foothill Second, that he's taking us where he's intending us to go and that he's granting us the grace we need as we go there. So please stand as we sing, O Glorious Day. This is a song we've learned, and I, this is the last week. We'll be singing it for a little while, but we want you to get a, one more chance to learn it.